your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom in the studio with me as he is most Fridays, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Anthony Chagoski, PhD. Happy Friday, Rick. I'm doing the PhD thing today. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, Donald Trump ordered to pay $355 million in his New York fraud case. It's a decent chunk of change. What was the other one? Wasn't the other one like 300 some million dollars too? The the sexual harassment assault thing? Yeah, yeah. That was... Exactly. This is different. This is for a pattern of fraud regarding his companies. But we're like at a half a billion dollars or so. I oh, would say. for I sure. Feel, I feel like it was 300 some million dollars. For sure. The E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll. Man, that's, I mean, how many emails? I, mean, I get like nine emails a day from Donald Trump asking for money. So I, I feel like we're going to ramp that up a little bit. It's a lot of money. But can, can somebody survive? <laughs> Obviously, there are billionaires out there, but it's just like unprecedented. Like, how does how does someone survive something like that? I mean, the given the staggering amount of money, the ironic thing is that the lawsuit here was all about financial statements that inflated his wealth. Beyond oh. what it actually was. Interesting. So his yeah. wealth, and then and now you have to pay. But does he actually have the wealth to right. pay this? And now yeah. you have to pay. And then is it like, is it like a bond, bail bond, where <laughs> right. you only have? Oh, so the fine's going to be this, but we also know how much wealth you have, so the fine will lower the fine because it's going to be conducive to what uh, what you say you, or what you what you have mon- monetarily. Uh, Calls to mind Rudy Giuliani and the case in at in Georgia with those election workers who he just viciously lied about and was forced to pay over a hundred million dollars, which he even as a rich guy does not have. Yeah, I completely like that one went over my head because it, uh-huh. it just didn't. I wasn't paid attention to Rudy. And then when the the first Trump fine thing, the three hundred million dollar Eugene Carroll, I don't know if it's three hundred million dollars. Should look it up. Then. Then that it came back to the and I was like, oh, Rudy Giuliani had to pay hundreds of millions. Yeah. And then the dude for the my pillow guy doesn't he have to pay a lot of money too? Or yeah. he's in the mix where all these guys are going to be bankrupt. Yep. A lot of folks got caught up in that. So the question is, can Donald Trump? And I know you're a political science professor. You're not like I. I don't know if this is your thing. Can he use campaign money to pay all this stuff off? No, no, not at all. No, none of it. <laughs> no. But he can trick people into paying him in camp. Can he, you know, there's got to be rules like, hey, can you send me some money for me to pay off my lawsuits? That's not campaign money. You know what I mean? There's got to be. The, oh, yeah. Like a legal defense fund. Like the the fine yep. print at the bottom or the I agree. You got to hit the I agree button before you send him money and you're agreeing to him just using your money to pay off the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, I've, we've heard of people setting up legal defense funds before, but this seems to be a whole other animal. Yeah, it's crazy. I I can't wrap my head around. I mean, this just uh, a sta- I mean, this is getting towards like you said, right? Like half a billion dollars based on my on the fly math here. Well, all this stuff to me is are does this happen to other people? And we just don't hear about it. If Jeff Bezos was fined for hundreds of million dollars, the, the the thing I'm seeing is Jeff Bezos sold $4 million in Amazon stock. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to buy Amazon stock this week if the guy that owns Amazon is selling. But, you know, like who in, do, do any of these other people that get fined this much money, 
Rudy Giuliani, I guess, but make it to the news, make it to the forefront of the news, or are there no people doing that? You know what I mean? Like, do we care enough about Joe Blow getting fined $400 million for doing a thing, or do we just, like, whatever, it's not going to be part of the mainstream media's news talk. It's not going to make it to lacrosse talk beyond. It's an interesting question because these legal issues are very rarely in a political campaign do we see someone facing legal issues like Donald Trump is facing well and that's his defense right they're just go- the deep state's going after me or something like that that is one of the key arguments that republicans are making they're making the argument that Donald Trump is being targeted because he's the leader of the republican party he is almost certainly going to be the Republican nominee for president and thus Biden and the Department of Justice are going after him. Right. And that's my problem with it is, is it something that happens to other people? Yeah. And it doesn't make the news because it's just Joe Blow again. I don't know what Joe Blow is like the dumbest name I've ever come up with, but, or is it that, you know, like I would like to, okay, if we're going to go after the the big dogs for doing the, the, these dirty things, then we should be talking about other big dogs or are we just going after the one guy? It just seems like we're, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. It's intriguing because Democrats talk about how Donald Trump is being held to the same standards that anyone else would. You hear that common phrase, no one is above the law. Meanwhile, Republicans claim that Donald Trump is getting singled out and that this is a method by Trump's political opponents to go after him and try to damage him as the campaign unfolds. And some of this is self-inflicted. The E. Jean Carroll thing is self-inflicted, right? They find him like $5 million or, mm-hmm. or he has to pay her $5 million. It was a, a civil civil lawsuit, right? Correct. And then he kept going with it. So it was like, dude, you could have stopped. And now that's your own fault. But, um, I, you know, the, the Hollywood guy that, I mean, he's in jail now. I'm, I'm there. There are other parallels here, but not to the point where it's a half a billion dollars. And you mentioned that the Eugene Carroll thing was a civil case. This is also a civil case, the civil fraud case that came down today. As we go further into the campaign season, we could see these criminal cases get underway, and that is a very different matter, right? There, you're not talking about millions of dollars necessarily you're talking about criminal penalties that might be imposed on president trump some of the like another name just harvey weinstein oh right 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 right. there's the the, there's parallels here to where we're going after the big dogs for a thing totally different well somewhat different i guess uh the dude uh jeffrey epstein right oh sure we we jailed him and that's i would say a big dog and then his associate was in jail right now you know um, so there, there are some parallels here, but I just like the scope of it is hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on one hand, the Republicans are saying, look, they are singling out Donald Trump. They're going after him because he's powerful. Yeah. Meanwhile, Democrats are saying, well, wouldn't it be nice to see more powerful people be held accountable? Yeah. So it's interesting how the parties are talking about the issues of power in the case surrounding Donald Trump, because to some – yeah, I would Democrat. say I would say in the political sphere, politicians are worried about the power. Like, oh, sure. no, go, don't go after the power. If it's our guy, then we're going to be mad about it. If it's your guy, we're going to be happy about it. Right. Whether it's Biden or Trump in this in the public, we're 
I mean, you and me and everyone else, most of us would be like, go after them all. Uh, one, way, one way of defining politics is that it's about getting power and keeping power. Now, I tend to think that's a bit simplistic, but that's one way that some people do think about this whole business well, of politics. Well, let's segue that after the break into uh, the, the voting maps in Wisconsin, sure. right? That's totally about getting and keeping power. For sure. Right? We'll be back. Down right. to the black seat. Sounds sounds good. And therefore, Donald Trump has to pay $350 million in a civil lawsuit. Makes total sense. Thanks, Joe. Moving on. What were we doing? Power. Taking away maps. power. Maps. maps. Voting maps in Wisconsin. Uh, I spent a couple of days on now on this. Uh, a whole show on Wednesday, which was a really good and informative talk. Um, but politically, Governor Evers has to sign the maps. I've heard he's going to sign the maps. He's backed himself into a corner. He, he has. Governor Evers made... Have you heard my rant about Governor Evers should have made totally lefty maps that got thrown out <laughs> along with the Republican total writing maps? Right. And that would have like even the there would be no argument against like you only threw out the Republican maps. And I don't even know if that's an argument anymore. But Republicans are like, we're going to sign Governor Evers maps. Is Governor Evers somewhere high like in it like alone, maybe with a couple of, you know, his most trust and going crap? Yeah, no. or what is what does Evers say? What is his, you know, like? Malarkey is like Biden. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, golly, or something. Yeah, like you know, golly, what Governor G- Evers G- say Willikers. when he's upset? Yeah. Gee Willikers, I shouldn't have drawn the map so fair that they kind of tilt still towards Republicans. Yeah, Rick. I think that the Evers maps are a not as bad as other options. Not are. as bad for Republicans. Yeah. I understand why Republicans are doing this because some of the other maps on the table are even worse for them than the Evers maps. And the Wisconsin State Supreme Court seems inclined to enact maps that could be really bad for Republicans, or at least the Evers maps might be better than the maps that the Wisconsin State Supreme Court would choose. So I understand the strategy behind what Wisconsin Republicans are doing, but at the same time, most Democrats voted against Evers maps. There was some question like, are these maps exactly the Evers maps? Yes, they are. They are precisely the maps that Governor Evers proposed. That was not the case before. Republicans passed previously, they passed modified versions of the Evers maps to try to protect some of their incumbents. This is the thing where Republicans say, hey, we're going to pass the Iowa model. It's not the Iowa model. Hey, we're going to pass Governor Evers maps, except we're going to change just a tiny little sliver. That's not what you're doing at all. But now they're straight up passing Evers maps. Evers maps is Evers is in in his office alone going, gall, gee willikers, I shouldn't have drawn such fair maps. Do you give credit to Evers here or do you think he's kicking himself? I am not sure because Evers has been pretty clear that he would sign these maps if they were presented to him by the legislature. And indeed, the legislature has presented him with his very own maps. How clear? Because I know I read I read headlines and stories that said he uh, will believe it when he sees it. But did he say, I'll believe it when I see it. And if I see it, I'll sign it. Rick, I think he's been clear enough where if he doesn't sign the maps, we would call it a flip-flop on his part. And that's a derogatory term in politics to be a flip-flopper. It's not a reputation people want. Has anyone ever flip-flopped before? Oh, politicians flip-flop constantly. (laughs) What would be the the ramifications? As UW lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Kajergowski, this is your thing, right? What would be the ramifications if you flip-flopped? 
I think it would give Republicans a public relations advantage. They could say, hey, we tried to work with the governor, but he flip-flopped and he went back on his word. But there is such a lack of trust in Wisconsin state government. That level of distrust is significant. And the political divide just generates such a lack of trust between the two parties. So right now, Democrats are thinking perhaps that Robin Voss is up to something. Do, 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 do Secretly, the Republicans want Evers to not sign the maps. Is that the, up to something here? I think that Republicans probably genuinely want Evers to sign the maps because they fear a worse outcome from the okay. Wisconsin Supreme Court. So this is my thing. When I talked to Common Cause Wisconsin's Jay Heck, he said that if the legislature passes the maps and the governor signs the maps, that's kind of how the system works. And therefore, yeah. the maps would be subject would be less subjective to lawsuits, and we would probably have these maps till twenty thirty one. There wouldn't be any of this like well flip flopping in the in the in the world. So in in my head, I'm like, okay, the maps are worse for Republicans in general, right? The maps the Republicans have now are better. So if we draw new maps, we're going to draw new maps unless the U.S. Supreme Court gets involved here. But if we do it by the book, so to speak, it would be hard to um, put a lawsuit against them. Well, Republicans kind of want to fight this. So in two years, they could get the their Supreme Court back if they win one judge, right? One uh, mm-hmm. Supreme Court justice in the state, they could get the and then they could fight the maps and flip them again. So why wouldn't that be the play? And Jay Heck said because they're probably not going to get the Supreme Court justice back because sure. they they're losing those elections at a at a, a pretty high percentage. The they are, election. they are. It was a significant defeat for Republicans when Dan Kelly lost to Justice Protasiewicz by a double-digit margin in a state that is typically so competitive like Wisconsin, that was a real blowout. Yeah, it was like back-to-back elections. Also, they ran Dan Kelly both times. Yeah, yeah. You you lost – Dan Kelly lost two elections exactly the same to two Democrats essentially. With with Justice Protasiewicz being very upfront about her views on these maps. I mean people can argue about – Protasiewicz's rhetoric during the campaign. Was it proper or improper for her to call the maps rigged? Was it proper or improper for her to say that she would want to take a fresh look at the maps? I think that's a fair argument. But what is clear is that she made those points on the campaign trail and then won a double-digit victory. Yeah. I think that probably has to count for something well, and there's a double. Well, and then we, we pretend that there's not a double standard because all the other judges, all the other former Supreme Court judges, or some of them anyway, do the same thing. When they're, you know, talking, they're saying stuff that's very partisan and we never hold them accountable until now it's, you know, taking away power. And we had Charles Franklin from the Marquette Law Poll on last week. Previously, Dr. Franklin has done polling asking Wisconsin voters if they think candidates for Supreme Court should talk about the issues that they might be asked to rule on. Should you talk about the issues that might come up in a legal proceeding? And overwhelmingly, Wisconsin voters say that judges, candidates for judge, should be talking about the issues that could come up in a case. So I think all of that is worth considering. But I, th- I think the more important part of the Marquette Law School poll conversation we had last week with him was that nobody knows about the gerrymandering thing, right? I don't remember what the percentage was, yeah. but 
it's and if you scroll down a little bit, I tried to look for it, but you 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 have too many notes on the poll. But if, if but nobody nobody really cares or understands or knows about the gerrymandering or the voting maps case, Rick, about a quarter of Wisconsin voters had no opinion either way on the issue of the redistricting court ruling. So there were okay, not a majority. Yeah, but what was the other part of that? What was the it other was percent? like if you approve or disapprove of the ruling that. Orders new maps. Okay. I think 42% of people approved of the yeah, ruling. Yeah, it was a majority. Approved. 34 said, I don't approve of the ruling for new maps. And then about 25. a quarter said, I don't know either way. Okay. So, and then what would be more interesting now is of those 42, if Evers flip-flops, you know, are they mad or happy about that? Yeah. Like, We're going to get new maps either way. Because Evers is pretty darn popular, at least compared to some other folks in Wisconsin. On that poll that just came out, Evers was the most popular statewide elected official in Wisconsin, more popular than Democratic Senator Baldwin or Republican Senator Johnson. I feel like Evers has like an out here. He's just going to go, I drew the maps in a way that I thought would be, uh, they're so tilted towards the right that I drew the maps in a way that just didn't, you know, tilt them back. Meanwhile, Republicans in 2011 drew the maps in a way that disregarded all all conditions and they just drew them the way that they wanted. And maybe I should be left out of the political game. The political the map shouldn't be drawn by someone political. And I'm going to step back from this because I understand I shouldn't have submitted maps at all. Look at I, that. You know, I think he, on the team, man. I think he's in a corner here, Rick, because the Wisconsin State Supreme Court said, hey, we'll give the governor and, a, and the legislature a chance to draw new maps. If they cannot do that, then we will pick the maps. And lo and behold, the governor and the legislature are on the verge of potentially being able to agree on new maps, which would take the Wisconsin Supreme Court out of the picture. We'd have new maps for November 2024. But I mentioned the political divide in Wisconsin. The political divide causes a lack of trust. Yeah. A lack of trust causes suspicion. So Democrats, I'm hearing, they're asking themselves, what is Speaker Voss up to here? The Republican leader of the state assembly. What is his angle here? What's he up to? Is he setting up a lawsuit that could be filed if these maps are signed? What is his angle? Is he going to try to trick us? Is there any mischief going on here. There's just this real sense of suspicion that I'm getting, this real lack of trust between the two sides. I'm kind of mad you didn't take my Evers argument. You just said, no, he's backed into a corner. You he didn't is. go, you didn't go, actually, that's a pretty good argument for him not signing the maps because he, he could say, I'm stepping back from politics. I should not be involved in this. It's my mistake to have submitted maps. <laughs> now that would be a because, heck of a flip Because we want the Iowa model, right? We want sure, the nonpartisan. Yeah. So he's the he's the most partisan here, right? He's the Democratic governor. He's in he's the most powerful person in the state. I think maybe it's Robin Voss. Uh, but he should go like, my bad. I gotta step back. Should, we need a system, and this is where it starts with these two consultants we hired. I understand the contradiction there because the governor has in the past called for a nonpartisan non-elected official redistricting process, one that tries to keep partisanship out of it, one that tries to keep politicians out of it. He has called for that in the past, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. It has been kicked around in the legislature, that idea, but I see what you're saying, that well, it hasn't Governor gone, Ebert, It hasn't gone anywhere because the legislature pretended that they were doing sure. a thing, and then they, it was a totally partisan model. The redistricting politics have been nuts, over the past <laughs> half a year, the election of Protosewicz sparked a flurry of activity in the legislature that would have been completely 
nuts to consider prior to her election. Like the Republicans passing Governor Evers maps would previously have been a completely absurd idea, right. like never in a million years kind of idea. But that's how much the election of Protosewitz has changed the politics, the political realities of this issue, where Republicans are doing things that previously would have been unthinkable on their part. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom in the studio with me, UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. The show just continued over the over the break as we just kept arguing yep, about different never things. Never stopped. Well, the, the maps thing is just so and and clearly like it's 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 one of the most boring things to talk about in a way. But also, as we play public enemy fight the power, this is kind of like the most important thing that Wisconsin has going on right now. It's, Absolutely. Aside from spending five hundred million dollars on a on a Brewers team. Sure. To upgrade their stadium when they're a multi-billion dollar, you know, industry. But there's uh, so much that happens downstream from the maps because the maps influence the balance of power in Wisconsin government. And yeah. then the balance of power influences public policy. Yeah. And we got a couple of callers and I'm interested to hear uh, their takes or their questions on this. Chris, go ahead, man. You're on the air. Hey, thanks for taking me. And I did just tune in. So this question has already been answered. I apologize. Um my question is this, you know, there's a lot of opinions going on with, with the maps, and at, right now the Republicans had power, have power to draw the maps. In the past, the Democrats had power. What is the actual law today? So, you know, the, the existing maps were found unconstitutional, but what is the written law today as to who is supposed to be drawing the maps? If they're drawn wrong, right, whatever, Who's supposed to draw the maps and why? All right. Great question. Excellent question. Yeah, we should. When I talk about we need to dumb down the argument all the time, well, we here's back to basics. Like, what the, what is the law? Yep. Starts with the state legislature. The state legislature comes up with proposed maps, and then they present them to the governor if the legislature can pass them through both the Assembly and the Senate. Goes to the governor to be signed or vetoed. In the past round of redistricting, there was a Republican-controlled state legislature and Governor Evers, a Democrat, so they gridlocked on the issue of maps, and that kicked it to the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. The Wisconsin State Supreme Court ultimately resolved the issue of new maps after the 2020 census. And we got the 20 in 2011, Republicans controlled the whole legislature, and it was like the first time ever that the maps just went through a process without immediate or or even before they get signed uh, lawsuits, right? Exactly, Rick. It's very common for there to be intense legal battles surrounding maps because, as we said, the balance of power in government is at stake. Now, in 2011, when that re- round of redistricting occurred, Republicans had majorities in the state legislature and Republican Governor Scott Walker was in office. Yeah. They had full power to redraw maps as they saw fit. Then fast forward to 2021, well, it's and, divided government. So that got the courts involved. And I guess did the in the 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 amount of voters that moved districts in 2011 was like 65 percent or something like that. I don't know yeah. if you know that off the top of your head, but they, they disregarded any like contingency to uh, least change. Right. When we drew the maps a couple of years ago, the first round anyway, the the conservatives on the Supreme Court said, well, you can't change the voting lines too much because a lot of people can't leave their district. In 2011, that was thrown out the window. They didn't even think about that. Also, like 
when when the legislature draws the maps, they don't allow Republicans in the room. When the when the Republican legislature drew the maps, like in 2011, I I've heard stories about locked doors. Uh, what is it where you have to sign the document and you can't non disclosure non disclosure agreements? Yep. So and Democrats weren't even allowed in the room. So there's a world here where I'd be like, can you let Democrats or if Democrats are in charge, can you let Republicans in the room? But that's not part of the the rules. Rick, to understand the stakes of redistricting. Just watch how the politicians act. They act like the stakes are extremely high, whether it's doing it in secret, whether it's engaging in these nasty legal battles. The politicians understand the stakes of this. All right, we'll go back to the phones. Greg's got a question. Greg, go ahead. You're on with Anthony. Well, the previous uh, caller kind of stole my thunder a little bit because that that was my question was about the constitutionality of a. Oh. About who supplies the map. Okay, Greg. Well, how about this, though? Did we do an okay job as you listened <laughs> to understanding? Well, but my question was, in in response to that was, um, being that the Constitution says the legislature supplies the maps, then the governor either approves or vetoes them. Uh, if that's the process, uh, then... The Supreme Court or the Democrats filed a lawsuit with the Supreme Court saying these were unconstitutional in the structure of the maps. I don't think that gives the Supreme Court the authority then to draw their own maps because that's usurping the Constitution of the legislature. I could see them kicking it back to the legislature, but not drawing their own because i think that would have led to uh going to the, but the u.s supreme court but 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 uh greg i the governor didn't approve the maps last time a couple of years ago right right anthony yeah no evers vetoed the maps that were proposed by republicans in the state legislature and if we just went if we just took that route right we would just run circles around each other the, the republicans in the legislature would draw maps evers would veto them and we would never move on for, yep. it, for forever. It's a pretty typical scenario when you have divided control of government, when you have one party in control of the legislature, another party in control of the governor's office. Pretty typical. In fact, pretty expected to see gridlock on the issue of redistricting. It's like taking two 10-year-olds and asking them to work it out, right? <laughs> right. The parents have to come in. Is the Wisconsin Supreme Court here, the parents? And then maybe the U.S. Supreme Court is other i don't know who well i like i like the analogy of redistricting being like 10 year olds trying to agree to something yeah 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 (laughs) uh how's that greg you good yeah just one other thing if i can backtrack just a little bit regarding trump the um my biggest problem with this case that was uh decided today was that the um attorney general there ran on the principle that she was going to get Trump. And the idea that somebody uh, is looking for a crime um, to charge somebody with really rankles me, whether the process should be here's a crime and find out who did it. Okay. I I am not going to pretend I know a ton about that. Do you? Sure, sure. I mean, it feeds into the Republican allegations that the legal process has been politicized in a way that tries to go after President Trump. Is it, it's it's the same argument with Protosewicz, is it not? Well, a, a the, similar a the bit? politicization of the legal system more generally is a really interesting topic, how political motivations might go into certain decisions that are made in the legal process. And how accusations of a politicized legal process can be quite 
significant to make. I mean, that's a, those are serious accusations when you kind of accuse someone of playing politics with the justice system. Um, I had Judge Mark Huseman on. Sure. Was it last week? And we have an election coming up. It's a nonpartisan election. And Now, is it an actual nonpartisan election or is it a, quote, nonpartisan, unquote, wink, wink, well, nudge, nudge election? And I probably, you know, it, it's hard for me to try to understand if this is a fair question, but it's and I don't think it is. And that's why I didn't ask him, but I can ask you. So Mark Huseman, he he puts he he must have applied for the job. And then Governor Evers has to to appoint him to the position because it's a, a vacancy. And therefore, you're automatically stig- stigmatized that you're a Democrat, right? Yep. Like Mark is put into a position where he's now partisan a little bit like, oh, Evers picked you over whoever else applied. I don't know if we know who all applied for the job. But now we have a, a someone running against him and Candace Tallestash. And I'll have her on next week, Thursday, I believe. Um and, you know, like she wasn't appointed by Governor Evers. She was appointed in 2015 by Governor Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. So is she the Republican in the race? And Mark Huseman is the Democrat in the race. And now we have a nonpartisan race who's very partisan because of the system. It's interesting because we've become accustomed to viewing state Supreme Court elections as completely partisan. Yeah, there's not a party label next to their name on the ballot, but it was obvious which candidate Democrats were supporting and which candidate Republicans were supporting in the election between Protus Awitz and Dan Kelly. I wonder if that perception has trickle down to these lower court elections where people assume, well, gee, the Wisconsin state Supreme Court is so partisan. Those elections were so partisan. I guess all judicial elections are really partisan. I wonder if people make that assumption about these more local court races, these lower level court races, since they're watching the partisan, uh, the the partisanship at that level of the Wisconsin state Supreme Court. Right. And that's the only way I can partisan this is is to say one was appointed by one governor and the other was appointed by the other governor. Yeah. But does that have anything to do with that or, and I, and I feel like maybe we should change the system where the governor isn't appointing this and like the redistricting maps or the voting maps where we have a nonpartisan, right. A nonpartisan, like whatever you want to call it, a panel. Sure. Uh, draw the maps. Maybe we have a nonpartisan panel pick the judges. Like, then that would kind of move that away from. There are ways to design the process to increase or reduce the role of partisanship, yeah. and I think that those decisions ought to be taken seriously because I get really concerned when these nonpartisan offices become very partisan. I think it's not fair to the voters if an election is going to be partisan. Then just put the party labels on the ballot. Let's. Yeah be upfront about elections as being partisan when they're partisan. For an election to be truly nonpartisan, I think that voters need to be aware, hey, this election is not partisan. I should not be suspicious of the candidates if one's a D or one's an R. So I get worried when nonpartisan elections become partisan because I think that messes with voters and it makes voters suspicious of perhaps all nonpartisan elections. People might think all nonpartisan elections are secretly partisan, and I'm not sure that that's healthy. Well, and then we watch the parties get involved. Even locally, we watch the parties get involved, and whether or not the parties are involved outwardly or literally running, right? The parties are running for the offices that they want. Um, And then it's like, well, how do you even take the partisanship out of, like Bill Fian is the the third CD uh, Republican Party chair. He's running for county board. So he's literally, you know, like you literally know where he he stands politically. He's a Republican. So then how do you how do you 
get that out of a nonpartisan race. And then we also have the local parties. Um, one on a, an interview with Hayes saying, we will tell you who to vote for because, you know, you, you're not as informed as we are. And that's just like in my ears, I'm like, oh, you're telling us who the Republicans are in the nonpartisan race. (laughs) And then on the other side, then then the other party has to catch up. Right. Oh, they're getting involved in the local races in a partisan way. Well, if we don't get involved, then, you know, our voters won't know who to vote for either. (laughs) Although you could just listen to your party you don't like and go, oh, you're saying vote for that person. I'll vote for the opposite person. It's just a domino effect. It's frankly odd to hear county government being talked about in a partisan way. I understand talking about races for Congress or races for president or races for governor in a partisan way. But in what sense is county government partisan? Well, we've made every issue partisan. It's, it's so it's irritating. It's right? so we've irritating. We've made police partisan. We've made yeah. climate partisan. We've made literally fixing the roads apparently partisan. It, it's, it's absolutely one of the worst developments in American politics that everything is perceived as partisan. When right. you, nothing, politi- you political yeah. scientists then – Fix it. Like, what do we do to, to unpartisan this stuff? We'll take a break and we'll come back with that answer. Oh, yeah. Texter. Okay, so I was talking about like our partisanship mm-hmm. in our county government, in our nonpartisan races, in our yeah. nonpartisan politics, right? Or, I, or I what will, do you want to call it? Local, I try to be as neutral as possible. I will not be neutral about that. I absolutely hate it. Local offices, I right? absolutely hate partisanship <laughs> being involved in that. And, and this is funny because he's coming on with me Monday. Steve Doyle is a Democrat. <laughs> he's literally on the county board right now. So there's a world here where like you also know where Steve Doyle stands as a as a Democrat. Steve Doyle is, is, is interesting, though, because I believe he's in a Republican-leaning district. Maybe maybe that'll change. I'm going it, to have it will change. Yep. I'm going to have try to have somebody on that's kind of a map expert and give them some time and go. Hey, can you look at the if Ever signs the maps? I think he's going to. You're on the fence. I think he will. Okay, just politically, yeah. it's going to be a. But Rick, I should draw a distinction. I'm not saying that Republicans should not run for county board. I'm not saying Democrats should not run for county board. Yeah. What my how I would put it is, it's one thing for a Republican to say. I'm going to run for county board to serve my community. It's another thing for them to say, I'm going to run for county board to enact Republican priorities, or I'm going to run for county board to pursue the Democratic Party's agenda. Well, what about just the like endorsements, right? Like the, the, when the parties come and endorse different candidates? I mean, that's. Well, that's... there I would question, like, why are they endorsing different candidates? Are they endorsing candidates because they think the candidate will pursue a partisan agenda? I would want to know more about the party's motivations in that case. Yeah. Okay. So, um, last, what do you want to hit on here? Last, we could do marijuana. We could do taxes. Marijuana taxes. These are okay. So, one of my theories here the last couple of days as we get new maps is I, I was like, will Republicans come to the middle with some of these issues in legislation leading up to? They could pass legislation. They only have a month and a half. Republicans, no, the legislature is off for the rest of the year in like a month and a half. Like we take. Full-time legislature, we're out of session, and then we're not going to pass legislation. Oh, they're going to be out of town in a couple of weeks. Yeah, because we got to go campaign and, campaign and campaign what? Well, what if you lose the election, dude or or woman? Because if you lose the election, then all your campaigning is for not. Maybe you should stay in office in session and pass some laws that do some good for the state. And that's always my argument. It's kind of the easiest one, but, the, but it's like seven, eight months off. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Medical marijuana. But but yeah, so are we going to see with new maps that have more Democrats and Republicans in the same district, some legislation that gets passed where you can go to the campaign trail and go, hey, look, but when they go, we're not going to pass any weed bills. 
where we legalize weed right now, we can't even get anyone to agree. The assembly says one thing, the Senate and the Republicans in the Senate say the other. It's just it's hilarious. It's yeah. Our assembly Speaker Robin Voss, the top Republican in Wisconsin government, said that the medical marijuana proposal is dead and will not be enacted. Now, recently, we talked to Charles Franklin from the Marquette Law Poll. And one thing we noted is that his latest poll of Wisconsin voters asked about medical marijuana. He found that 86% of Wisconsin voters support legalizing medical marijuana and only 10% of Wisconsin voters oppose legalizing medical marijuana. What was interesting about the poll is that he found nearly 80% of Republicans support legalizing medical marijuana. So public opinion is overwhelmingly in favor of medical marijuana, yet it will not pass the state legislature. And this just doesn't quite add up to me because with new legislators, with legislators facing new maps, they're going to have to introduce themselves to new voters and they could be in the most competitive races of their lives. It's helpful for them to campaign on voting for a popular idea, well, such as legalizing medical marijuana. Well, they're going to campaign on it. They, hey, we're going to put it. We're going to have it in a committee meeting, and <laughs> next year, if you vote for us, then maybe we'll think about passing. It's like pass it right now. Eighty-six percent of people say just pass medical marijuana. Eighty-six percent. When eighty-six percent of the public is in favor of something, more often than not, you see the government take action accordingly. And we're just not seeing that in this case. Um, another bill that they signed that I just disagree with and I, I don't understand it is they're going to allow 14 and 15 year olds to to work more. Essentially, they're going to uh, get rid of some of the regulations. So 14 and 15 year olds, because we have a workforce problem, you know, they, nothing to do with a seven dollars and 25 cents an hour that the state minimum wage, you know, hasn't changed. It's federally. So like you talk about the federal government there, too, as well. But uh, to solve the workforce shortage, we're going to let teenagers who can't drive go to work without regulation. I watch Wisconsin government very closely, and I am not convinced that there is a serious plan out there to deal with the workforce shortage in Wisconsin. We know that there is a severe workforce shortage. And I guess I was just asked, is that a problem with both sides of the legislature? I mean, do I, uh, I think that there has been a lack of common ground on a coherent strategy for dealing with the workforce shortage. Put it this way, I don't think the two parties have been able to come together to say, this is our vision. This is our shared vision for how we're going to confront the workforce challenges. I don't think that's happened. I don't think there is that shared vision between the two sides on the workforce issues. It's just this this one is baffling to me because there are stories. That we keep talking about stories where children are illegally working in places that are dangerous. They're working with dangerous tools on dangerous equipment. They're getting hurt in Wisconsin, in Minnesota. It's literally happening here. And then those those companies get fines. Nobody goes to jail for that, although like they're illegally hiring children. And then what's the solution for that while all that's going on? Well, we'll let children work more. Like We'll let them work without regulation. I guess I would just want to know more about the goals and the motivations of this policy. Is the goal to allow young people to work when they're 14 or 15 to generate to develop the work ethic is this seen as they can a, already do that right i mean is this seen as a way that could really help with the workforce shortage right. i guess i'm not clear on what the goal is and how much this might help if at all with the workforce shortage that's Yuri lacrosse political science professor dr anthony tragoski thanks thank you have a good weekend everybody